Please be advised that in order to foster quality discussions in each episode, we will spoil the stories in each game and text we talk about. Good news is, 90% of the titles we cover are old enough that many of you might already know all about them. That said, we do encourage you to play and read before listening. Do you ever worry the moon is just going to crash into the earth and destroy the whole world? Every day of my life. That's my biggest fear. Really? No. Oh. Well, <laughs> I, had a, I had a nightmare. You had a nightmare? You're living in me. a Majora's Mask world? <laughs> <laughs> I had a nightmare that my wife and I went on vacation somewhere in this little town, and we talked to an old man, and he pointed up in the sky and told us to look at the moon. And we're like, wow, that's beautiful. And we watched it and watched it. And, it, and I was like, hey, that's getting closer, isn't it? <laughs> and then eventually it, it was very, very close. And the old man was uh, a little less calm. And uh, uh, it, it was getting a little alarming. So <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah, I would imagine. I, I ran into this house, grabbed my phone, and I looked at, the weather to see if the moon was going to crash into the earth. <laughs> Turns out on the weather channel, the app will tell you <laughs> the moon's going to ex- explode the earth. Before I got that far, the moon crashed into the earth. <laughs> so it was coming with some heat. And uh, and it, it was the wildest thing. I and It was like the most horrifying nightmare I ever had. Um, I, I Everything just started shaking and I fell over in this in this room and everything just went started going black and then it, it was like it was like when you turn an old TV off just <laughs> oh, and, that and then I died and mm. then and I had a moment of peace but uh then I woke up well at least you had but the I, peace before you woke up yeah it was that was wild we, when that when that kind of thing happens that means there's like a little elf kid who failed his mission he was supposed to collect a uh, bunch of masks yeah. and do a bunch of stupid. That's not. I think Junji Ito also did a story. I think his wasn't the moon that came crashing to Earth. I think it was like a planet or something. I haven't read that one yet. I forget the name of it. But what what was it? Junji Ito. He does a uh, horror mangas. Uh, I th- I'm pretty sure he had a. They might even made it into an anime now too. But it was really really creepy. But I just remember like seeing the art for for it. And I think it's like a different planet or something. I want to say it has a face too, like Majora's Mask, like the moon, and it's just crashing to Earth or something along those lines. But. Uh, that is a horrible. Because you imagine how big it would start to get. Yeah, it it oh. was it was like when you like in the in Star Wars, which you hate, uh, <laughs> when you see like the Death Star coming. It was yeah. like that. It's like it like looks unreal, but so real. What would happen if the moon actually did crash into the Earth? How much damage would it cause? Yeah. How much I, would burn up? Because it's not. Yeah, I forget true. the size comparison, but it's a lot smaller than the Earth. Yeah. Well, I guess it wouldn't probably well, still wipe out all of humanity, right? I yeah, I would, I would guess because, well, and even so, you can't, we can't live without the moon, right? I mean, we could live. It just the tides would be tides. non-existent, and well, don't, don't we need that? Or? There would be no reflection from the moon, which reflects some. I don't know. There's a lot of things that would yeah. change, but I guess we're not scientists. We, we're not, not even close. No astronomers or 
I don't think anybody needs the moon. We just like the moon. Yeah. Because we're told to like the moon because it's been existence for our whole entire existence. Well, the moon didn't, in fact, crash into the earth in real life, but I think we both were wishing it was about a quarter of the way through this book that we read. Bryce, I'm going to say something that's going to challenge your perception on Ray Bradbury's Something Wicked This Way Comes. Okay. Uh, because I am under the impression by my incessant bitching at the beginning of this book that you think I hate this book. And this turned out to be one of my all-time favorite books. So I am not in your camp anymore. Really? Yeah, I read the first 50 pages or so, and I really struggled to get into it, which we will discuss, uh, because of the prose, the, the style it's written. And mainly, I just didn't really care about it. But I also went into this book having just finished the Iliad, and I'm going through the epics, so my mind is not even anywhere near dark fantasy, sci-fi, yeah. any kind of genre stuff. So when I first started reading this, I, I didn't even really want to read it, which is probably a big problem. But then just to get it over with, I did two binge reading sessions of like an hour or so. And I just ended up really loving the book. So sorry. Well, sorry to ruin whatever uh, you had planned for this about me well, being in your, on your side of not liking the book. but We'll see where this conversation goes. But welcome to Arcade Bookshop, where we talk about video games and their literary counterparts for all of you who love to play and to read. I'm Bryce Yoli, and I'm here with my pal and cousin, Caleb James. Yeah, buddy. And we're talking about the book, Something Wicked This Way Comes, which is... Uh, what we think is a good counterpart to uh, our last episode where we talked about Earthbound, the Super Nintendo game. So, first of all, uh, why did we choose this book? Caleb, why the hell did we choose this book? Well, originally we planned to do It because we needed a coming-of-age story that deals with monsters, uh, just a lot of fun weirdness as well. And we didn't choose It mainly because it's a very long book. Right. <laughs> and also, Earthbound, while it does have some elements that are a little more adult, it's not quite it-level adult. There's no sex. Yeah. I mean, it has, like, the... I'm not going to go into detail, but at the end, there is a scene amongst the children that's quite gross. Why Stephen King wrote it, I would imagine cocaine had a lot to do with that. <laughs> um, but not getting into that, it did seem like it was a good fit. But then we picked this, which was actually interesting because this was a huge influence on Stephen King and most likely why he wrote it. Right. Because he was a big fan of something. Many uh, authors at the time actually uh, came, like Neil Gaiman was another one that really enjoyed the book. A lot of people took a lot away from this, which is why when I started reading, I slowed down and mm -hmm. was like, okay, maybe there's something to this that I need to focus more on. Yeah. And yeah, it it, like it, it is a good uh, counterpart because, you know, it has like innocent kids, but they're like really interested in uh they're interested in the world and they and they they like to test the world and uh they like adventure and you know ultimately they they, they end up or that they're striving to save their town from evil or what they think is evil and you know and i mean even even like a couple chapters in that ray bradbury used the word earthbound he did I, use earthbound uh, <laughs> it was like it was meant to be wasn't yeah. it <laughs> it was wild um but what was I going to say? There um, was a carnival it, in Earthbound. Well, kind of. There's yeah. a tent and yeah. Yeah, that too. And oh, we, while I was reading the book, I it it was interesting. It's like I I'm, I don't love the way it's written, but you could really feel where uh I really felt like Stephen King 
in that book. Like you can yeah. see, like that's where he got his writing style. Oh, for and sure. It, it's it's really weird because like I, I like the way Stephen King's voice is usually, and there are aspects of this that I, that I like the same. I like the same feel of it, but ultimately, I don't love the way this book is written. I, it grew on me because I was in your camp. At, like I said at the beginning, I did not care for how it was written uh, because I I don't have a problem with like the poetic prose style. Yeah, but it almost felt like it, it's hard to say because if you read like an H.P. Lovecraft, a Poe, any of that kind of stuff, you know you're reading something very dated. It's aged. Uh, it's not going to read the same as modern fiction. Even though this is more modern, it came across like that, but in a way that wasn't. I can't think of the, the right word, but in a way that just didn't hit you the same, you know, it's like you went into it reading and it's like, this is not difficult to read, but I find myself rereading a lot. Yeah. And I yeah. don't know why, because the it's not like the, it's not using crazy vocabulary. It's not outrageous sentence structure or the grammar is not hard to follow. It's it's written normally in that regard, but it's just the way it's written. It's, it's very hard to describe. Well, it's like it's it's almost like it's a it's a it's almost like it's an epic poem. Like kind it, of, yeah. It's like it's 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 weird because it's so blatantly a narrative, but just the way the way the the way the exposition is and the way the dialogue is intermingled, you have to keep like retreading because it's almost like too simple you're like what am i missing yeah. here am i missing something or is it as simple as it as it's coming off yeah you never know what's deep and what's not yeah uh and then another aspect too that i found a little uh hard to follow was that the dialogue often was written in the same way that the prose is written and people don't speak like that like there's yeah. a lot of uh not monologues but you know like the dad in the book he he goes on uh different like lecture kind of things for a little bit but it's like the way you're speaking is weird yeah it's almost like you're not shakespearean but kind of like yeah. i mean obviously the title something wicked this way comes from the uh you know with, with the prick of my thumb something wicked this way comes right. from macbeth but some bradbury was obviously influenced by that and maybe that's mm -hmm. why he wrote it this way but the dialogue should not be especially because it's set in like the 50s or 60s yeah and it's already Again, dated, so like some of the stuff I was not interested in. The evil in this story, compared to what we consider evil in modern fiction, is nothing. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. which is why it fits with Earthbound so well, because right, Earthbound right. is like the simplistic story, which we discussed on that episode, about why kids would feel, you know, so threatened by these minor things. Well, it would scare children. A carnival, obviously. Yeah. They're made to be creepy and... Uh, obviously the character, uh, which we didn't even break down the synopsis or anything in the story. Yeah, yet. I was gonna, I was gonna get there. Okay, back. but like uh, you know, the main character, the illustrated man, Mister Dark, uh, he's one of the, considered one of the best characters, uh, in fiction as like a villain. Hmm. Um, which is also a Disney movie made of this. I want to watch from the seventies. Yeah, but um, anyway, I'll, I'll finish up real quick here. So <laughs> this, like, these kids are scared in this world, but as an outside viewer. Uh, some of it does get like, oh shit, okay, I, I feel it now, and there's some themes that we'll touch on that are really creepy, but compared to a modern lens, it's not really like scary, but I don't right. think it's supposed to be, but maybe at the time. Yeah, and that's what I was feeling, like it's, it's not scary at all now, but I don't know if maybe this was one of the first times that people started, or that someone wrote about carnies and, uh, yeah. and like, you know, the whole 
like American Horror Story that 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 one season, which was like actually d- disgusting. It was but, pretty gross, yeah. But uh, you know, maybe it was the first time that people talked about or someone talked about the carnival the weirdness and all the and uh, like the creeps that are actually part of it sometimes Mm -hmm. you know it probably was weird back then but let's break down the story Um, yeah we gotta do that because for those who haven't actually read the book or know anything about it because this is like a what is this like a (laughs) 60 year old i don't know it's an old book now yeah so most people have probably read it maybe uh this is my second time through but um so basically it's about a couple of kids will nightshade Incorrect. Will Halloway. Will Halloway and, and Jim Nightshade. Which Nightshade is an awesome name. It is. And they even bring up at the end of this because the it's the carnival's called like Dark and Kugel, I think, or something like that. Cougar. Cougar. Something. And then uh the the spoiler, the one guy is not around anymore, and then the guy gets Jim and he's like, Hey, why don't we have you could be the part of the carnival part owner and it'll be Dark and Nightshade. I was like, That's a fucking awesome name. <laughs> uh go on though. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's about these couple of kids. In the beginning, this guy is coming around selling uh, lightning rods. Yeah, the lightning rod salesman. That's another part. The beginning, I was kind of confused what was even happening. I was like, yeah. is this guy part of the carnival? What, what is the point of this? Yeah, and then lightning never, did lightning ever come? I don't think it ever did. I think it was supposed to be a metaphor for the incoming storm of the carnival. Yeah. You think like the, the carnival was supposed to be like a storm coming. Yeah. Uh, But I didn't. Yeah, and lightning never lightning came. Rod things. I mean, yeah. What was the point? I don't know. Right. I didn't do any deep like, research into this. I get the metaphor of the storm coming, but ultimately the lightning rod things. I don't. I don't know. Anyway, um, that's how it started, and uh, he he was handing out flyers also, or did that come later. That's I do not carnival. remember. Anyway, they this carnival uh, has come into town, and the strange thing is that it's coming on it on this train at three in the morning, and it it has like a supernatural feel and nobody understand really understands why but they feel it and that if i understood it correctly when the when the train comes in and they're unloading it the tents go up themselves that's what it seemed like and then yeah. at the end of the book i think they go down by themselves right so <clears throat> basically which again if you take from it remember in it pennywise the dancing clown he's actually like an entity from outer space or whatever but he only comes every what thirty years or something. Yeah, I was gonna get there. Uh, <laughs> uh, That's the same with the carnival. It only anyway, comes every certain. Let's sum this up really briefly. This carnival comes to town. There's evil stuff going on. They're trying to get the kids involved in it. They don't want to be involved, or one of them does, and one of them doesn't. And uh, there's a, this whole like temptation thing going on, and they they want to save the town from evil. And, and, and the motivation the behind the carnival is it seems that it's these people who are stuck in basically October. Like they're yeah. the what are they called the autumn people? Yeah. Uh, b- while we all live, you know, winter, summer, fall, like we live all the seasons. These people are only in existence for the October, which I guess is all year round for them. I don't know, but these people, they, I guess they just need more people for the carnival because they keep turning people into these freaks, mm-hmm. which is kind of you know that's cool. Yeah. So they turn the people into the freaks, and then another aspect of this, which is a huge theme of the book, is aging. And it's, you know, not just its effects on us, but like there's nostalgia, just all the stuff. So you have old men and old women wanting to be younger. And there's this uh, right. carousel that if it goes backwards and it plays the funeral march backwards, which is really cool. Yeah. Uh, awesome imagery in this book, by the way. 
So it goes backwards, and for every uh, rotation around, you lose a year. And if it goes forward, you gain a year. So Jim ends up getting convinced he wants to be older because this is the coming-of-age story. Kids, Mm -hmm. they just want to be older. But Will doesn't want to give up his childhood. Jim does. That's the first friendship conflict, and they're really close buddies. And read from a modern lens, it almost reads like strange because I don't think kids interact this way anymore. Like how no. holding hands and hugging <laughs> and just like all that stuff. It's like, ah, it was a simpler time. <laughs> but that's basically wh- where we're at with, with the story is the carnival wants to take these kids. Why these two specifically? I'm not sure. Because even at the beginning, like the dad's like real, he's a, he's only 54, but because at 54, 1950, might as well be 104. Like the way they treat this guy. Yeah. Uh, but his whole thing is he's an old man now and he can't connect with his son because he had a son when he was 39. And back then, I guess that was just unheard of. You probably got married in your 20s. Uh, so he wants to connect with his son, Will. And then he sees this carnival coming and there's just all kinds of feelings and stuff involved. But then, you know, so he's tempted to be a younger man. Jim's tempted to be an older person. Will just wants everything to be normal. Uh, then, like I said, Mr. Dark, his whole thing is he wants more freaks for his carnival which are the regular citizens turn to freaks. And that's done in very heinous ways, which is also really fun. Right. I think that's pretty much the, the gist of it. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of... And the word calliope was used 8,000 oh fucking times. And, and I, I, in my head, I kept reading it calliope yeah, or something. Right. I was like, and then I looked it up and I was yeah. like, oh my God. And, <laughs> then, like, and then knowing that it's pronounced calliope makes it not work in the whole book no like, to me like it just doesn't i fumbled right. it in my mind every yeah. time i read it i was like calliope, calliope. That, it's like the one part of the the poeticism that just jars every time <laughs> and i'm not even joking i swear like every chapter that's used like three times and it's unfortunate least. because you it would be a calliope yeah like it would be but that word is terrible <laughs> but so yeah there's a lot of it's a lot of age, and there's a lot of like moral compass kind of themes in uh, throughout the story, and so that's the story. And uh, before we go on, is do you think this is maybe not the first, but one of the first books that really tackled like what it means to go through like childhood, adolescence, and grow up like a coming of age story? So now you have like Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer and things like that, but it's not really about becoming adults. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of work I've read, you know, pre this book, but I can't remember an actual coming of age story where it's children who the main theme of the book is them getting older and facing their fears, such as Earthbound. Right. I don't know. There's a lot that came after this book. Yeah. I mean, I I have a hard time thinking of examples, I guess. I mean, there's a lot of things that imply that, but I don't know if there's anything that directly deals with it before this book i've read a lot of things where it's usually war related but it's young mm-hmm. men becoming men yeah and a lot of them back then were you know they could be teenagers becoming men so i've read that but these are actual like 13 year olds or whatever they are they're like teens or preteens becoming teenagers and adults in their case they actually uh, at least jim's case he wants to skip the teenage he just wants to be an adult mm-hmm. uh but i before that i can't really remember reading anything that hit just like that with the coming of age stuff yeah that's a good question i don't know we should have looked that up we should have and i haven't even read this but the only thing and it's probably a horrible example but the only thing that's coming to mind is like just because it deals with children and i don't really know how the story ends up because i haven't read it but uh (laughs) i was thinking of lord of the flies i don't know if that would be like a 
Didn't that come out after this, though? Oh, did it? I don't even know. Was that William Golding? Yeah. I want to say that was after this, because this was written, I keep saying it, because uh, also my edition has, I don't know if yours does, uh, the whole influence of making this book was Gene Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> that was weird. Like I was Ray Brad about that. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, I'm going to get there, because I, I, I feel like that's part of why it was written the way it is. But, but I mean, that whole background. Yeah. So, yeah, the... This was published, the copyright anyway, is 1962, and it took him five years. So he wrote this in the 50s. Okay. And when did, you don't know when Lord of the Flies came out? I'll look it up real quick. I have the technology. I want to okay. say that was 70s or 80s, I think. I was remember it? reading that in middle school, which hmm. seems like a horrible thing. The kid, Piggy, they hit, the one they called him Piggy, like, fuck you. And then, like, they hit him in the head with a rock. Like, <laughs> oh, not even a rock, a boulder. I mean, and we watched the movie. I was like, this is terrible. I'm a child. I shouldn't be watching this. They stabbed a kid with a spear. Oh, my God. It was a, you never saw that? Oh, no, violence. I don't know anything about I mean, I know I know about it. I know of it. Even I need the to... name, Lord of the Flies. Like, it just makes you think of rot. Death. It's terrible. They're I mean, just little English kids. Imagine I... if it was American kids. <laughs> yeah, they're little proper people yeah. destroying each other. Just immediately goes into this tribalism. And they just murder each other. You're teen. You're not even teenagers. Like, what are you doing? You haven't even gone through puberty and you're killing each other. Yeah, I need to read that. I, I, I always feel like stupid for not having read that really good if you like that kind of stuff yeah why do i have not no service in my own house what's happening uh we had a giant storm ladies and gentlemen yesterday day before not a giant storm but all the transformers in washington blew up oh really where i live uh not at my house thank god but everywhere else and then like comcast who is my awful uh provider of internet and cable i don't have cable anymore but uh, the internet has been down, and it's just been real, Wi-Fi's been real spotty. Mm. Yeah, I never have internet down here. Yeah, but I usually do, because I do a lot of research in my studio. Yeah. Uh, here, you discuss, I'll look up Lord of the Flies. Okay. Well, I was going to move on to the uh, the way the writing is in this book, and it's it was it's a little frustrating to me, because I like Ray Bradbury so much. I've read The Martian Chronicles. I read the Illustrated Man. Um, He's usually such a smooth, easy to read type of writer. Yeah, like a Neil Gaiman uh, type. Read, of... Uh, I read the October Country. I think um, the, these are all short story collections. Well, you know, I think he calls Martian Chronicles a novel, but it's short stories. It's yeah. short stories, but it, it's different from like contemporary science fiction and fantasy and whatnot. But and it's none of it is like scary, like if it's ever supposed to be. Not to me, but it still has that like you know that like slate like Stephen King feel, mm-hmm. and I and it's it's smooth. He has really unique ideas that I could never think of. I read it, and even if it's not like the best story I ever read, the idea just makes I'm you always, mad that you're not that yeah, creative. Yeah, exactly. And so I really love Ray Bradbury, and I want to keep reading his stuff. And from what I've heard, like looking into this book, most people feel the same way like they they love Ray Bradbury and reading this is a little bit frustrating when I read the reviews I got that um I think what helped me though and why I ended up liking it is I went how I read Shakespeare or like I was saying I read the Iliad what got me to really focus on reading the Iliad as it's an epic poem is I just changed my mind frame from going how I read a normal narrative of okay, this is what's happening. This is what's going on, and kind of looking for the metaphor. And mm-hmm. you know, you, you, sometimes you admire the sil- the similes and different things, which he uses a lot of those in here. But with this, 
when I, as soon as I switched over to just flowing with it, like I just read it, I stopped trying to think and I just mm-hmm. read it and just let it wash over me and completely decided that if I don't understand what is being said at times, uh, which I would imagine some work of James Joyce would probably be similar, uh, from what I heard people to read a lot of his stuff is if you just understand that you're not going to understand that yeah. you have to know that, okay, if I don't understand this, it's fine. I don't have to look it up. I don't have like, cause there's a lot of stuff where in this book, even though, which is probably why it's aggravating <laughs> is because it's simply written, but then you don't like, why am I not understanding this? Yeah. Why am I not picturing this? Why can't I understand what is exactly happening in this scene? But if you just read it, like that doesn't matter. I'm just going to let it flow. It, it's, it reads a lot better. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was a lot more enjoyable that way because I was able to just to focus kind of on the, it's almost like watching some kind of indie French film. Like yeah. a lot of times you don't understand the, you know, the artistic liberties taken. You're like, I don't know what they're doing here. I don't know what the point of this is. Is it important? I but if you just watch it as is and stop trying to think, it's it's a lot more enjoyable. Yeah, and I I guess I'm always reluctant to do that to like let things just wash over me and just keep reading with a flow because like I I told you privately before that I. I'm always like self-conscious of <laughs> how fast or slow I'm reading. Yeah, and if I let myself start to speed up my reading, I feel I, like, like you're missing a lot. I, yeah, and the, and I there are so many books in my past reading uh, experience I just don't remember anything about. Like I, I told you before, I don't. I read so many Kurt Vonnegut books. I read Mother Night, Player Piano, um, Dead Eye Dick, uh, uh, something else. I I don't remember. Anything about them except the character names if I look them up like on Wikipedia. Yeah, that's and a little tough. So anytime I start to do that, I make myself slow back down and read deliberately again. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, so I, I, I'm like almost unable to let it just wash over me. So what I do instead, I guess, is if there's a passage that seems like it's important and it's making a point and I'm not getting it, I have to reread it and reread yeah. it and reread it until I, like, really think. And that's where it's, like, poetry to me because when I'm reading poetry, I uh, I read it, then I read it again, then I read it out loud, and then I start to pick it apart. And that's why I've been on the same poetry collection for, for the last, yeah. like, two months. <laughs> but if you do that with the whole novel, you're never going to finish the novel or right. you're not going to enjoy the novel so much. <laughs> so after about halfway through or so, I maybe a little past, probably like three quarters of the way through, when it was finally getting to the climax and it was start, like I, I got what the book was about. Then I started to speed up because like, yeah, it was a lot of just the same kind of dialogue back and forth and the same points being made just again. By that time I sped up. But yeah, I mean... The thing that I can't get past is the dialogue because it's so unrealistic. It's so, in my opinion, it it's was like it's like theatrical. It's like and a the stage chi- performance. The, and the kids and, did not sound like kids, in my no. opinion. They sounded like they I wouldn't even sound like adults. They sound like people that don't exist. I didn't think that was very well done. <laughs> right. And I, I have a. I'm going to make a point after this, but regardless, my point doesn't make up for this. I think I cannot stand. How everyone said, oh, Will, oh, Jim, oh, Dad. Everything <laughs> was very, uh, by the way, I, Lord of the Flies, 1954. Mm. So he could so, have been, he so could have yeah. read it and then immediately wrote this book. Right. I don't know. But um, 
Yeah, it was very Leave it to Beaver-esque. Yeah. That's where I said it, this book reads kind of aged, but not in a way classic literature does. It reads aged as in, oh, I'm watching Leave it to Beaver. I'm watching yeah. Bewitch. I'm watching a very specific decade. Right. Like, so you read this like, oh, that was definitely written in the 50s and 60s. Oh, shucks. <laughs> you know? It's like <laughs> that then, kind of stuff. And then where I'm going to go next is back to the Gene Kelly thing. Because originally this was a this was a shorter idea that was that it was going to be turned into a screenplay, right? Yeah, my book actually has the screenplay at the end. Oh, does it? Yeah, and uh, I mean I've never seen that, but and the, like now that we know it was made into a Disney movie, I'm just thinking like I don't think he could get past that it was supposed to be a movie or or a yeah a film. He still yeah. It was... So like it's a novel written uh with like the sensitivity of being of, of being a picture now that you mention that it does read as if the characters would be better understood if you saw their actions yeah like the way they talk to each other would probably be better understood if you saw their movements and their interaction physically yeah. because a lot of times when you talk to people uh a lot is said with the face the eyes even your body language your mm -hmm. hand movements and it doesn't convey very well in the written form. Right. But I also have heard that the movie isn't that great. <laughs> I watched the trailer earlier, and it didn't... Uh, like, the Illustrated Man, I didn't see any tattoos on them. Yeah, they. I uh, think because it's a Disney movie... Yeah, they I, couldn't do... Well, that's yeah, his I, whole thing, is the Illustrated Man. That's I know. What, that's his gimmick. They probably just called him the Dark Man in, the, in that movie. I do want to watch it still, cause, just because I read it. I mean, it'll... I, It'll probably ruin the book for me, but you know what? I didn't. I didn't love it anyway. <laughs> yeah, it'd be fun. But I'm curious. Um. But yeah, it's. I just I couldn't get past all the the dialogue. It, but uh, but I have an exception. Um, and I, I might need to borrow your book because I didn't bring mine. But there was a, a a part with Will's dad talking to just Will. I really enjoyed that scene where they finally see each other for the first time as the yeah. people they are. Yeah. Because Will's like, oh, my dad's not just some old guy. Yeah. And then his dad is like, wait, he's, you know, this is my son. I should be treating him as such and not just living in the library like he does. Yeah. And I, maybe this can bridge us into actually analyzing it. Can I, are you looking for something? I was just looking for some passages that, uh, some awful dialogue to read, <laughs> but it was all just coming out. It's very annoying and just joined. I just want to give an example, but <clears throat> I don't know if I'll be able to find it because your book's a little bit different. Mm. Yeah, I couldn't tell you the page number. I don't remember what chapter that was even. Shoot. Are you talking about the part with the iron rungs with the like right before he climbs up the building? And it's like it's uh, it's after. Yeah, I think so. I um, it's after they get in trouble. It's when they're talking about happiness and death. Yeah. I really want to find it. Do you have anything while I look for this? Well, this is one of them books that I recommend everyone read, but you not, uh, might not like. Some people, they uh, don't know what they like until they read it. I'm one of those people. If you told me that I would end up loving this book when I first started reading it, I would have told you you were nuts because I did not like it at all. I was bored out of my mind. But I also wasn't in the mind, you know, like I said, I wasn't in the right mind frame. Once I switched over to just flowing with the book, it was a lot more enjoyable. Mm -hmm. That's just what made it for you? Like, just letting yourself 
Well, I started to appreciate the language more, too, because I wasn't dissecting it anymore. Yeah. So I was looking at it more as like how and I actually I read a lot of this book out loud to myself Mm -hmm. and that helped because now, uh, which is a trick I've learned with James Joyce, sometimes the way it's written is very purposeful in how it sounds. Uh, So listening to an audio book of this uh, audio version of this book might actually be way better because then you catch the. Not just like the poetic lyricism, oh, you catch you catch the rhythm, yeah, and then that changes because like the dialogue, like I said, I hated the dialogue, but when you read it out loud and you, it'd probably be better if it was actually read like a play, like people reading to each other, uh, reciting the lines to each other. It you can understand it better, but when you're just reading it at face value in your head, there's no rhythm and it's just like yeah, this is stilted and weird, and sentences shouldn't be formed like this, and people don't talk like this. But when you, like you said, with the theater aspect of it, if you look at it from that angle and it's over the top and even the, oh, Will, oh, Jim, yeah. oh, Dad, like if it was in like a play or something, you would be fine because it would be over the top and you would understand what you're witnessing. And it actually gives, um, it gives to the, like the whole prose is made to fit with the carnival theme mm-hmm. over the top. This is like a spectacle. So yeah. when you're reading it and you have that carnival in your mind as well, you feel like you're a part of something. You're witnessing something. You're an out, which is a complaint I saw a lot of people have is you never get, you're never deep into the book. You're always an outside observer because of the way it's written. Mm-hmm. A lot of people didn't like the book because they couldn't sink into it and be in that world. Yeah. But it's not meant to. It's like when you're watching a stage play or in the example of the book, you're at a carnival show and they're, you know, the freaks are coming out and you're watching all this stuff. You're the spectator and you're supposed to be. You're not supposed to be a part of the scene, which is why I think in the end when the dad actually gets on stage with the gun and he's like, which I love that scene. Yeah. Uh, and then there's all the stuff that unravels there. Uh, that's almost like r- so ridiculous yeah. <laughs> that it could never ha- like you could never be in that world. Right. You're you, all you can and do that, is watch it. I guess that makes me think of how the, his idea for this. Did you read this what, uh, about his uh, childhood memory with Mr. Electrico? Uh, I don't remember. I think I did, but I, I when so, I finished that book, I was already focusing on the game I had to play, so okay. <laughs> I didn't read so, a lot of the after stuff. There's a character who uh, initially is like chasing after the boys, and they end up on the carousel that ages or reverses age, and things get out of hand and it goes too far forward and the guy just turns into like this desiccated almost dead which i love how he and, writes that guy being so old too yeah and uh, the descriptions that what ends up happening is the dark man or the illustrated man and the carnies or whatever they they put him into this electric chair and they feed electricity through him to keep him alive as long as possible before they can until they can figure out how to how to get him better so the whole idea of that, and I think they start calling him Mister Electrico from that point yeah. forward. And that the whole Mister Electrico thing came from um, a childhood experience that Ray Bradbury actually had at a at a carnival, where this guy was actually they, he called himself Mister Electrico, and I forget the details, but basically he like I don't know if he pointed at Ray Bradbury in the crowd or. He talked to him uh, personally outside of the show, also, and he. But he, I think at this show, he pointed at him and he said something like about his future, like I or no, like, like he said he told Ray Bradbury as a kid that he, his soul was the soul of his dead 
best friend or something. Ah, uh, that's weird. And he said something about his future. And from that point forward, I think that that like set stuck with Brad, him. Yeah. So that's where the whole Mister Electrico thing came from. Um. And uh, oh, my point was, uh, maybe, maybe it's written like that because it's supposed to be like like someone telling someone about their like childhood memory like you'll never actually experience this yeah but this is all the way that i felt about it when it when it when i when i experienced it so you get more emotion than you get like strict detail and yeah yeah that makes sense yeah so i found the passage i was looking for I'm all gonna, right. it's uh a little bit long but i'll read it so it's will and his dad talking and i think it's like their first heart to heart and this is after and, Will and Jim were accused of burglary. Yeah. And then right. they had to talk to the cops. The lady's not going to press charges. Uh, they take Jim home. And then that's the first time the dad realizes these kids have these iron rungs. They hook to their, they mm-hmm. nailed to the house so they can sneak out at night. And then he realizes, oh shit, I am, they, you know, me and the boy shared a lot because he used to do the same things the, the kids did. They'd sneak out and stuff. So he finally gets to realize uh, that they're, Share more in common than they real, you know, than he initially thought. Mm-hmm. So he says, uh, "It's Dad said." Will his voice very faint? Are you a good person? To you and your mother, yes, I try, but no man's he- no man's a hero to himself. I've lived with me a lifetime, Will. I know everything worth knowing about myself, and adding it all up, the sum, as they come and go, and I mostly sit very still and tight. Yes, I'm all right. Then Dad asked Will, why aren't you happy? The front lawn at, let's see, one thirty in the morning is no place to start a philosophical. I just wanted to know, is all. There was a long moment of silence. Dad sighed. Dad took his arm, walked him over, and sat him down on the porch steps, relit his pipe. Puffing, he said, all right. Your mother's asleep. She doesn't know we're out here with our tomcat talk. We can go on. Now look, since when did you think being good meant being happy? Since always. Since now, learn otherwise. Sometimes the man who looks happiest in town with the biggest smile is the one carrying the biggest load of sin. There are smiles and smiles. Learn to tell the dark variety from the light. The seal barker, the laugh shouter, half the time he's covering up. He's had his fun and he's guilty. And men do love sin, Will. Oh, how they love it. Never doubt, in all shapes, sizes, colors, and smells. Time comes... When troughs, not tables, suit our appetites. Hear a man too loudly praising others and look to wonder if he didn't just get up from the sty. On the other hand, that unhappy, pale, put-upon man walking by who looks all guilt and sin. Why often that's your good man with a capital G, Will. For being good is a fearful occupation. Men strain at it and sometimes break in two. I've known a few. You work twice as hard to be a farmer as to be his hog. I suppose it's thinking about trying to be good makes the crack run up the wall one night. A man with high standards, too. The least hair falls on him, sometimes wilts his spine. He can't let himself alone. Won't shift himself off the hook if he falls just a breath from grace. And he goes on about that. And eventually he says something interesting about death, too. Anyway, this was the first... Oh, wait, I think I found it. Okay, he says... It goes on a little bit, and then uh, this is his dad again. Um, he says, Me? I'm the original sad man. I read a book, and it makes me sad. See a film? Sad. Plays? They really work me over. Is there anything, said Will, doesn't make you sad? One thing. Death. 
boy, Will startled, started. I should think that would. No, said the man with the voice to match his hair. Death makes everything else sad, but death itself only scares. If there wasn't death, all other all the other things wouldn't get tainted. That was so this was the first part in the book. And this is about I don't know maybe a little. It's about halfway. Yeah. And I was like, th- this is where I where I made the turn from like just letting this book drag. <laughs> you started and, enjoying it a little bit more. Yeah, because it was like you know everything up to this point is just Jim and Will, you know, running around the town, being chased by the uh, the Dark Man or whoever, Mister Cougar, and and uh, all that stuff, the burglary thing. And it's like it's kind of just like one event after another, and I'm like, what? Why are these things happening though? Yeah. Like, what is going on? What is the what? What is each person driving at? And then, and then it comes to this part, and it's like, oh, this is like it's not about it's not really about what's happening per se. It's it it's about it's about every it's about the kids growing up, and it's about the dad as old as he is, like, growing up, having realizations. Yeah. And, like, talking about morality. So, I got, and this was the, this was just the first part in the, in the book where I was, where the, the writing actually felt, I mean, it's still that, like, leave it to beaver-ish yeah. thing. <laughs> but it still feels like a little bit real, like, a conversation that might actually happen, albeit, like, maybe more natural, in a more natural. Yeah. Like, none of the conversations world. in this book feel natural. No. But, uh, and, like, I I ended up becoming once the dad started talking more. I ended up be like really focusing on the fact that this is about this book is about like parents also. Yeah, and and that's that is my major tie to Earthbound because I found it so interesting that it's about that that Earthbound is about these kids on this huge quest to defeat evil and their your mom is at home and she's just like well go ahead i guess I, i'll be here uh like i don't know doing the laundry whatever she's doing well both and the book and earthbound show that despite the fact that these kids world has just become so exponentially huge they're it's still very small because they're children yeah so in earthbound and, they're you know fighting galactic monsters and doing all this stuff, but it's still about his little hometown is just what he knows. Yeah. Uh, and the same with the book, like these kids, even though there's this carnival and all this evil that's come about, it's still just about like, they're, like you said, the mom, the dad, just the little, their little yeah. lives. Like they can't, they could see beyond their lives, but they can't live beyond their lives. They don't understand the world outside of what they already know. Right. And it's, it shows, it shows what like the confusion that comes from what parents choose to be, and I, I was preoccupied in Earthbound with the fact that your dad is just a voice that gives you money. Yeah, <laughs> and and it made me think like it made me connect that with Jim because his dad was either dead or gone. gone. He wasn't in the picture, right? So it was just his mom, and it it seemed like his mom wasn't very present either i think well what i understood is his mom was very overbearing because the dad was gone and it's all she had left maybe i'm confusing something yeah then jim rejects that because he's a kid so that's why he's always escaping going on adventures putting himself in danger yeah all this stuff so the mom just like an earthbound 
is not completely absent. She doesn't show up here and there, but because Jim is off doing all this stuff, she's, you know, you never really see her. Same mm-hmm. with Earthbound. Ness is out there on these big adventures, and he still misses his mom from time to time. And you can go back and visit her, but she's never out in the world with him. So you get, right. yeah, but like it did say many times that the mom was uh, too coddling of the boy. Yeah, okay. Um, almost to the point where if he got in trouble, it's the end of the world, but it's almost like, you know, how like helicopter parents is like, well, not my son, you know, like yeah. one of those things. Like he, he's a, he's still a good boy. Even if he killed somebody, he's still a good boy. Like she's right. never going to leave his side. And then on the other side with Will, there's that point where they're in the, in the library, right? And they're looking out the window because something's about that, like the dark man's about to do something to them. I yeah. Think. And he's like screaming for his mom to like, I don't, I, I don't think he's, he's he's wanting her to. Is he wanting her to help or is he wanting her to? He's go? conflicted because it's after they're captured by the Mister Dark. The dad he had his hand broken. He's incapacitated, which apparently he's a hundred years old in that scene. It's like you're fifty four, dude. You could throw a punch, <laughs> but anyway, like he he's too old to help really. So Mr. Dark is our he's taking the kids and they're looking saying dark man, don't I? It's Mr. Dark. Yeah, it's Mr. Dark. Mr. Dark. Uh, Then they're looking out the window and Will sees, I think, both their parents, Will and Jim's mom walking together. Yeah. yeah. And then Will, I don't think I think he's trying. I think he might make some noise, but their mouths are covered. And this guy has like a vice like grip. So only muffled screams come out. But then the mom does notice kind of like she looks at the building, looks at the windows. And Will's thinking to himself, it's like, oh, save us, please. But then he's so conflicted. He's like, no, I don't want mom to get hurt. Yeah. So it's like this back and forth in his own head where it's it's written in a very hard to follow way because yeah. he wants the mom to go. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want her right. to save him, but he desperately wants her to save him. Yeah. So, and a lot of that, this book has a lot of that where it's these dual ideas in the same sentences. Yeah. And it's confusing as fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know why he chose to write it like that, but. There's just a lot of, like, Jim, I think another one, and w- I think Will had one, too, where it's, like, about the confliction of going on the carousel and getting old mm-hmm. or staying your age, and then the dad has it, too, because, like, the Mr. Dark, that one's done a little better. Mr. Dark's trying to convince him to go on the carousel. You could be 10 years younger. You don't have to be this old man anymore, and then he's, like, conflicted, but it's just, like, all this fucking nonsense about... Oh, I gotta get on the carousel and I can be older and I can live, but I can't do that. I'm a kid. I don't want to do that. I need to do that. And it's like, okay. <laughs> like, it's just get on or don't get on. But at that, that moment with the, both of their moms outside of the library, I, I was just thinking, how long, when was the last time they saw their kids? This is the fifties. <laughs> you could just go out and run around and know. I guess that's the difference. This whole book, they're not just out at midnight, but the, the, yeah. when the carnival comes to town, it's three in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> the kids are just out at three in the morning. And even the dad, that scene you just read, the when he realizes there's the rungs up the house, and he's talking to Will about like, you know, how often have you gone out at midnight? And then like he's, oh, this is the first time. Well, we, you go out a lot, don't you? And he's like, yeah, I do. <laughs> and then he's like, well, it's okay because I used to do that too. Yeah. But we're looking at this from a modern lens. What's the worst thing that's going to happen to you if you're running around town? Because they run around graveyards and just everywhere, running amok at midnight. Yeah. <laughs> and it's fine in 1950s when nothing's open, nobody's out, there's no problem. Right. Probably even bars weren't even open then. I don't know. <laughs> but because this is very leave it to beaver town. But if you look at a modern lens, it's like, no, you're going to die immediately, kid. Like, <laughs> somebody's going to kidnap you. You're going to get trafficked. You're going to get put in a van. You're going to get shot. Like, don't go out of your house at night. Don't go out of your house during the day. 
Like, <laughs> you can't even have kids play in the yard by themselves unattended now. But back then, you know, right. we didn't lock doors. Right. And I don't know. I, I, but I, I just had this this obsession with, with the parents. And I get, I mean, even even though it's the the fifties, I think it still sh- it still reflects like, you know, what parenting does because you see such a difference between Will and Jim, mm-hmm. and and like even though even though Will's dad is he feels bad because he's older and he's always out like he goes to bed and then he goes out to the library in the middle of the night. So like his dad's half not there, and he, and it's almost like he hasn't talked to his kid until now. That's how it's written. <laughs> he hasn't. Ta- he they never had a conversation. And don't know each other until yeah. that scene you read. Right. And but but like even so, it's like he has a complete family and he has the morality. And then Jim, Jim is immoral because he comes from a broken home. Right. That's a yeah. It's very fifties <laughs> how it's written with that. It it is, but I mean, I think some of that's still relevant. I, you know, some people, some people come from broken homes and they end up being better than people with complete families. Well, the thing with this because Be- I think it's supposed to parallel uh, Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn. Is it? Because Tom Sawyer has like the loving family. Huck Finn has an alcoholic mm. dad that's never around, and he's pretty much a bum. But this kind of, like I said, parallels Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer because Jim, who is this rambunctious dangerous kid like he's he leaps into danger he doesn't seem to care about his well-being that much but his his being i guess in the 50s was a broken home because he just has a mom but it's like oh it sounds like he's just living a nice house with a loving mom that's true like there's no reason to be like this but you know uh will's the good one because he has both mom and dad but the dad's not even around anyway yeah he just ignores his wife and kid like it's (laughs) okay i mean back then i guess that was common i'm gonna go work in the office all night i'm gonna you know read the paper and sit on the couch and smoke a cigar and read a book and then I'm going to go to bed and never talk to my family. And that was fine. <laughs> but that's a wholesome upbringing, I guess, compared to Jim who didn't have his dad to do be absent. Like, right. <laughs> stupid. But I, I, I just, I was like obsessed with it because I, and uh, I haven't mentioned this yet, but I, my first chapbook of poetry, which will come out next year, it's a, uh, largely about my experience with my dad. Who was there? Yeah, but uh, sort of like distant, or I don't know. He he was there. It was just it. It just it's my point is just it goes to show like the difference that parenting can make, and especially if you know families that have what you're missing. Yeah, or friends who have what who've had in their childhood what you've missed. So you get to ignore. You get to know that that kind of life exists. You just don't have it, right? Yeah, and there's a yeah, and there's like an acceptance thing there, and and I think yeah, I don't know. We're, we're, I'm probably overanalyzing it because I relate to that aspect, but mm-hmm. I guess I just see that in like Jim because he's like he ends up getting like tur- getting turned into like. A, they, they both get like turned into zombies almost. Like they're the like under wax the, figures almost. Yeah, they're under the control of Mister Dark, and they have to do whatever he says. And Will gets broken out of it by his dad calling him, and Jim has a really hard time coming out of it. But even after they first had the experience with the uh, carousel and stuff, Jim's just like a big fucking idiot for most of the book. Yeah, like he was he fine at the beginning, but yeah, but then he's just like. 
I don't know, just stupid. He's like, you like prefer him in the beginning. And then yeah. He's like, you just, you just stop it. Well, this book also got me thinking about, which I don't know, Bradbury went too far into thinking when he wrote this, because he mentions how like, say you're a 54 year old man and then you decide you're going to go back to being 20. Yeah. Or a kid or whatever. Now you're going to be alienated from your friends. They're not going to talk to you anymore because they won't have anything to relate to you. But since you still have your adult brain, you can't relate to the people of that age either. Right. But then I was thinking, well, I mean, if you physically grow younger, your brain's going to go back to reverting before it's fully formed. So I don't know how well that works. And then, like, he brought up the kids, which is a better point. So say Jim does decide he goes from 13 to 22. You're still a 13 year old in your brain. Like, what you're not going to understand. You never, you skipped all of your adolescence pretty yeah. much. Like, you're growing up. So you're not going to understand how anything works. You're going to have to get a job. And you're, yeah, it's, it's going to be terrible. But yeah. obviously, a kid's not going to think about that. He just wants to be bigger. Right. Which that used to be like a major theme in fiction all the way up till the 90s. Uh, you think of like the, what was that, Tom Hanks movie in the 80s? Big. big. <laughs> yeah. It's like, there's always a theme about kids getting big and like becoming adults yeah. and, it was like a very easy way to show the coming of age kind of stuff. But I never, like when I was a kid, I was like, I don't want to be big yet. I just want to be a kid. Like, I never yeah. felt that. I mean, yeah, you want to be older at yeah. times, but, oh, I like to be able to drive or things like that. But you never just wanted to be big and. Right. You, uh, want, you want the freedom, but you don't. Want that's all the, it was, is you wanted the freedom, basically. Yeah, you don't want the responsibility. And Well, yeah. and this, it does bring up like the point, too, is like the physicality. So you don't want to just be like this weak little kid who can't fight back. You want to be able to handle yourself, which then Will's right. dad is the opposite. He's like, oh, I would like to be younger so I can handle myself because I'm too old now. Yeah. But then at the end, like he he starts running. He's like, is my heart going to explode? And I'm going to die because the kids are running <laughs> through a field or something. And then he starts jogging. And he's like, well, I know I could keep up with them. And then he realizes he's not as old as he thought all along. Because who knew a pipe smoking, fifty four chain smoking 54 year old uh, isn't actually that old. Yeah. But in the 50s, he might as well, like I said, might as well have been 105. <laughs> Apparently, you just died at 60, so he was on right. borrowed time. That's <laughs> <laughs> one of those things where the age of it just, it, doesn't, uh, it didn't age well. Right. Now, I want to go back to uh, the one more thing about the dialogue that bothered me. <laughs> I had it in my notes, and I didn't say it. The parts where their dialogue seemed like he was trying to cut words. <laughs> yeah. Like there's a lot of parts what, that just cut off abruptly. What you doing here? What you want from him? Things like that. It's it's like <laughs> I didn't get that why they were talking like that. Uh, yeah. cuz that that's why it came it came off to me like someone was like this book's a little bit too long. <laughs> yeah. So you're just like well, maybe I can get my point across and just cut so like stiff. you went from Kevin from the office just why use more word when fewer do good? Like, it's, 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 it's it doesn't work like that, Kevin. He's just like, he's just cutting prepositions and articles yeah. just to just to do it. Yeah, that was so strange. So, uh, yeah, I wanted to talk about that part where they're explaining the uh, the autumn people that we referenced earlier um, when we started talking about Pennywise. I was like, Oh my God, Stephen King literally stole that from this book because the whole thing about Pennywise is that he, he just comes he comes back. Every, even if you kill him, he comes yeah. back every so often. Even the research scene because the way it's figured out in this yeah. book, the dad goes to his library that he loves so much, finds a bunch of books on carnies and old newspaper clippings, 
and just reads about every time this exact carnival has come to town all yeah. the way from like the 1800s, maybe even 1700s. I forget how far back it went. And then it was the same people, like the same company. And it's like every 30 years or something or whatever. I forget the time. I think it is every 30 years. Yeah. And then I was just like, yep. Stephen King not only cribbed that whole idea for Pennywise coming every, I think it's 30 years, but also the library scene where they figure it out. Yeah. I mean, I'm only going by the movie. I haven't read the book, but I think the book's the same. Like, they go to the library and they figure it out that Pennywise. It's like, you just stole that. (laughs) Yeah. It's like straight just cut and paste almost. Jacked it. Uh, uh, That was surprising to me. I mean, and at the end of the day, one more thing about that this book reminded me of uh, Earthbound there was that scene. Oh, it was the scene where I, th- I think Jim and Will are being turned into like those, like whatever zombie things by the witch. Yeah. And she's like slowly cutting off all their senses. Mm-hmm. And it was like, that was like the freakiest part to me, I think. Yeah, but that it, was pretty freaky. It reminded me of an earthbound when the, the poo scene, when uh, he gives himself up to, uh, I don't even know what it is, spiritual power and just yeah. cuts his arms, his legs, his ears, his, all the senses. Yeah. Like, pretty freaky it's such a claustrophobic idea i don't like it but anyway that was just another link there was not a strong female protagonist in this book there yeah you're right because there's only doubt unlike earthbound where paula is a main character who saves the day this has uh i think her name miss foley their teacher Mm -hmm. she gets reverted to a child on the carousel which never is resolved which pisses me off all these people that get turned to freaks i guess they're just state freaks they just ran away at the end. It's like, oh, I guess yeah. we don't know what happened to him. She gets turned to a little girl, and she's just absolutely... They find her crying in the rain. It's a very heart-wrenching scene. Yeah. It's very disturbing because she's just, like, hysterical, sobbing. Nobody would help her, but they just think she's a little girl. And he makes a point in every character. If they get turned young, their eyes are still old. Yeah. Is, yeah. So they knew weird. it was her, but it's like, oh, uh, every like female character just... Mainly it was just her, I guess. There wasn't too many female characters. It's like they're just fainting women and... <laughs> just basically dumb useless yeah side pieces yeah because like from the start miss which i didn't get until like at the until the end of the book but from the start miss foley is like you don't even see it happen but she's already been manipulated like, yeah like like paper by mr cougar <laughs> like yeah <laughs> she's just automatically going with whatever they tell her yeah weak character unfortunately well 1950s we expect yeah yeah so I guess my my main feel about this book is that it has so much going for it that gets uh disappointed by by the way it feels by I mean by the dialogue and the way like how we talked about earlier how it it's like you can't get inside it. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about it, it's really cool and I and like when I listen to other people talk about it it sounds so cool. It's like, it's a really, like, it sounds like a great book. And it is for certain things. But, like, so, like, it has it has the imagery. It has really good coming of age and, like, moral compass ideas. And it just, but by the end, even the ending was, like, what is it, like, Gone with the Wind when they yeah. going off into the sunset? Pretty much. It So, it, it's just, if it wasn't, if it didn't feel so cheesy, which I then it didn't have to, and I think there's reasons that it did come off that way. But my second my second read through, which was this one, I I enjoyed it more 
than the first time I read it in high school when I just didn't really get yeah. why you read books. Like I, I enjoyed them but didn't get them. <clears throat> I didn't enjoy it in high school. This time I I got I got things I took things from it at least, but it still isn't one of my favorite reads. I think that Ray Bradbury focused more on how the story was written versus how he told the story. Yeah. He focused because it's a very cool story, mm-hmm. but his it was about the prose versus the actual story. And in my summation here, uh, which I think maybe Stephen King said, I don't remember, but it's usually uh, if you focus on the writing over the story, it's not going to be that great. Like you always should be a story first if you're mm-hmm. writing genre fiction anyway. If you're writing literary fiction, okay, but this isn't supposed to be literary fiction. I don't understand from what I understand anyway. But um. <clears throat> What do you think will end on this? What do you think about the ending message where they're on the broken carousel or before they break it, they're contemplating whether oh, they yeah. should use it and then they realize they're the carnival people. Like the carnival people don't end. The evil doesn't go away because it's in all of us. So as long as like if, if they're willing to use it because they, they, they use it. Oh, we'll use it for good. You know, mm-hmm. we could just keep every, all our, like it started off. We'll just make ourselves a little younger and then we'll, you know, we'll be better. We'll be healthier and happier. And then we could bring our friends aboard. And then, and then it actually showed exactly how the, like he tells how exactly how the carnival formed. Yeah. He did it very succinctly too, which I liked. It was only like a paragraph, but he explains exactly how the carnival people came to be. Yeah. And then like the whole thing was like, they're not, they weren't evil mm-hmm. originally. It's just, you know, they wanted to, yeah, basically, we all want to live forever, right? Because we can't understand what it's like not to exist. And then, it well, if we have this ability to just keep making ourselves younger, what's wrong with that? Mm-hmm. Just shave a couple, not like anything extreme, just a couple years off. So yeah. you don't have to hit old age and you don't have to suffer and, you know, fall apart. But then it's like, oh, that's not good because then you're going to bring your friends aboard and then everybody's going to do it. And then all of a sudden it will be corrupted. It actually reminds me of something that you said on your last episode of I think it was your last episode of uh, Drunken Pen about uh, I think it was maybe it was the next to last one I don't know it was one of your episodes um, when you were reading uh, God I don't remember but I, I know you read you've been reading 120 Days of Sodom periodically <laughs> oh yeah I've been reading some excerpts from that <laughs> but you said something about morality at some point it's it's kind of I, I don't think you were talking about that book at that point I think you were later on. We just it. read the excerpt from that, made fun of it. I have, we actually haven't been reading the book. No, yeah. But you said something like morality is like knowing knowing what's wrong and choosing not to do it, no matter how hard it is. And I think I think it comes down to that, because even though it depends how you develop your moral compass and so it depends who you are, but fortunately they have their dad there who has experience yeah. with life. And he can help. And they can, he, and so he gets to say, because if it was just the kids, they would have used it. They, yeah. They probably would have. But he gets to say, this isn't inherently a bad thing, but bad, but good things can turn bad. Mm-hmm. If, I mean, it's, it's sort of like a, all things in moderation thing. But well, it's easy to do things, the but... right thing when you don't know the consequences or there are no consequences. Yeah. So for the boys, they couldn't see the consequences of their actions if right, they were right. to do, you know, go through with it. The dad did. He understood. Yeah. He's lived. So he, he knew that if they went down that road, 
They would be just like the carnival people, the autumn people. Right. So I think it, I think it just comes down to that. Like it ends up, it ends with like a just a moral message, just to like you're gonna confront things that. The, and it's kind of like what he talked about in the the that happiness passage I read. How people who look, people who look happy, all the time, are often the ones who are like nefarious. Yeah, the carousel can be a really good thing and it sounds really good but at its core it's you're gonna it, it can turn you it goes against nature the, so yeah people yeah you're never gonna end up using it for well that's um what am i thinking of here uh this has been done in fiction a lot but whenever somebody i'm thinking of the ring from lord of the rings obviously <laughs> stupid um yeah in Lord of the Rings, you get the ring, and if you're a good person, you think you can wield that for the greater good of humanity. Mm-hmm. But it's a corrupted thing to right. begin with. You right. never can, so all it'll do is corrupt you. Yeah. So no matter how good your intentions are, if it goes against nature, it's never going to work. It's always going to end up poorly. Yeah. At the That's best. A, like, a good <laughs> parallel. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, Bryce, how... You know what we'll do, since this is a comparison... What did you enjoy more, playing Earthbound or reading Ray Bradbury's <laughs> Something Wicked This Way Come? I, you know, I think they are, I, they're really good counterparts because I hated a lot about both. Yeah? <laughs> but I liked a lot about both of them. I think I probably, oh, it's hard. You go first. I think I enjoyed the book more than Earthbound. One, I didn't have to read the book for months, um, which helps. <laughs> Mainly just because a lot of Earthbound was tedious and as fun as the game was and interesting as the story was, I felt it's a little more surface level. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, I really did like Earthbound, so I don't know. I know it's hard. That's a, that's a, because it's hard I, comparing a book to a, like what you enjoy more because usually people yeah. are gonna say the game. Because um, like I, I want to, my first instinct was to say the game because, I but I think because it was like my first game back into video games after not playing for such a long time, so it just felt good even though it was yeah. ridiculous and absurd and uh, hard at times, and I didn't feel like learning it myself, but. Uh, but but ultimately i i really like like after that the passage that i read i really liked i really liked reading it but i think what we could take away from both the story of both things were great yeah but maybe the execution wasn't always done to the best that yeah some I parts are sounds... great and some are not uh yeah i would agree so maybe a wash equal yeah, that's fair like both of yeah. them equally i can't pick one yeah yeah i couldn't pick one because Earthbound, there while I love the story and the weirdness and the creativity, there was a lot of just, and it goes with the time period and the gameplay and just things we discussed on the episode, just like, eh, could have did with all that. Yeah. So I could have did without Ray Bradbury's specific prose style here. If he just wrote it like a straight narrative and you still have, you know, it's like the creativity and stuff, but just told the story, uh, I would have liked it probably more. Yeah. So we have a legendary game and a legendary book and they're... Just all right. <laughs> they both have aged okay. Yeah. But not great. Right. 
I think I think we chose. I think it, ultimately, even though we wanted to read it, I think it was this a was good a better choice. fit. Yeah, yeah. Was well, it's too adult. Yeah, it wouldn't have fit Earthbound with the adult nature. Mainly just the monsters and the growing mm-hmm. up themes and stuff. But it's, it would have been really uh, too jarring to go from Earthbound to it. I think. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, this this was because this also fits the aesthetic. Wow, Earthbound's not supposed to be. I think Earthbound's supposed to be like 1980s, early 90s type of uh, aesthetic. Uh, and this is the 50s. Those go better than. I mean, it was also supposed to be like the 80s and stuff, but it's like the harsh. Like it's all the dark yeah, side of everything. Right, you know? right. Like you think of like kids getting molested and beat and yeah. people dying and just awful things. Earthbound is lighthearted. Yeah. It's not supposed to be like. Either you kill monsters, but nobody. You don't actually kill anything, I don't think. You tame people. You know, yeah, like the, right, yeah, right. Like, you you know, hurt. If you hurt somebody in Earthbound, uh, that's like a major event because it's like, oh, like when in, uh, what is it, Magic Cant, uh, Ness is, like, when he talks to his other selves and stuff, and he talks to some of his villains, and he's like, oh, you hurt me that day, and it still hurts. And you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Like, even though it's a bad guy, you defeat, you feel bad. Yeah. And, you know, this book's a little more uh, harsh with that because it's supposed to be a little more realistic. But even so... Other than like the old guy and stuff, not too many people really like die or anything. All right. So, takeaway: I enjoyed both. Probably will never play Earthbound again or read this again. Because I, I beat Earthbound her. twice, so yeah. And you read this book twice. <laughs> <laughs> this worked out perfectly. So, what are we doing for the next episode? So, what's our next game? Stay tuned, everybody, because for our next episode. We're going to be talking about the 1985 video game Deja Vu, a, ni- a Nightmare Comes True. We need to see if we can crib the music, because the music I believe you can use. I've seen YouTubers use the music from those games. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's a point-and-click game, and it's a lot of fun. It's a mystery game, but I think we could incorporate the music onto the episode, because the music is fantastic on all yeah. those point-and-click games. Like They're so legendary. In yeah, definitely. I, I, I love that part of it. And the episode after Deja Vu... The the uh, literature that we think is a good fit is going to be Raymond Chandler's short story, Black Mailers Don't Shoot. His I first ever story. Yeah, I think it's his first ever story. I'm excited for that because I like, uh, we did the big sleep on the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast and we really enjoyed that. That's the only Raymond Chandler I've read. I have this giant collection yeah. on the table and I've been meaning to go through it, but I'm going to go through a noir year, I think. Oh, nice. Just going to read because I have a bunch of old noir. I have a bunch of hard case books too. Or at least a couple hard case books, but I like to go through that stuff from time to time. And uh, I want to read more Raymond Chandler and Walter Mosley, but I feel like the Raymond Chandler would be a good fit since the Deja Vu is set in the 40s? 20s. Set in the 20s, I think. I don't know. I think it's set in the 20s. Okay. There was something. We'll, we'll talk about it on the episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So if you're enjoying the show, if we're on, uh, if we're on our... Uh, host and be sure to follow or subscribe and as soon as we do establish a social media presence uh, you should follow us on there and uh, watch our watch our words um you can look for our playing and reading schedule in the show notes so you can play and read along and uh if you have any game and book recommendations to go together we don't have any way for you to tell us those just yet but as soon as we have an email yeah. set up for the show <laughs> we'll get there maybe I'll put that in the show notes as well and you can look for that uh by the time this goes up uh Caleb do you want to talk about your stuff if you want to listen to some lowbrow literature talk and a lot of writing talk because we are all writers in this studio 
Uh, you can go and listen to the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast. You can find us at DPW Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. No, we do not have fine video of us on YouTube doing the podcast. No one needs to see our faces that much. Uh, but you can listen on there because we have subscribers. I don't know why. People like listening <laughs> on YouTube. I see, I guess if you have like the subscribe to it, you can listen to the music while your phone's on, you know, shut off, not shut off mode, but just, you don't have to have the screen on basically. Yeah. You can also check out my work at calebjamesk.com. That's my author page where hopefully I'll get some goddamn publication history updates <laughs> soon. I also need to put more stories on there, but you can uh, basically find everything I do on there as well. And uh, that's about it. I don't know. All right. I'm so used to on my other podcast having Spencer's fake OnlyFans. I always shout out, but he's not here today. So, and those folks who listen to this have no idea what I'm talking about. So you have to listen to the DBW podcast. Yeah, you'll find out. To know the stupid thing I'm referencing. <laughs> well, thank you all so much for listening to Arcade Bookshop. So go stick a controller in one hand and your book in the other. Oh, that's a difficult task, but I like it. <laughs>